It's so good to be here today. Uh, Andy uh, welcomed you guys, but if you're a guest with us, let me extend my welcome to you. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church, and it's so good uh, to worship the Lord together like this. But if you haven't already turned there, Second Corinthians chapter 9 that we just read uh, is where we'll be uh, together this morning. Uh, we're continuing, uh, really finishing up our little two-part series that we've entitled uh, the Cheerful Giver. So we started that last week looking at chapter 8 of Second Corinthians, and uh, this morning we'll be uh, here in chapter 9 as Paul's continuing this conversation, writing to the church um, at Corinth. And so uh, a big kind of statement that we uh, unpacked together last week that I want to remind us of uh, this morning uh, will be on the screen. Here's kind of the big idea that I believe Paul's saying to us out of chapter 8 and applies to our conversation again this morning. Uh, Grace experienced in the person and work of Jesus. So when we experience this grace that we've just sang out as a prayer, God, pour out your grace on us. When that is experienced uh, in us, it, it always results, always, no exceptions, always results in grace extended. And one of the ways that, that grace extended, the way that looks, is in radical generosity, for the glory and the cause of Jesus. So when we experience the grace of God, it always results in us extending that grace of God to others. And so Paul is, is talking to this church at Corinth and says, you, I'm, I'm charging you to be generous with your time and with your talents. But in this particular context, he's talking being generous with your money, with your resources. But he doesn't just say, hey, give. He doesn't just say, hey, be a generous people. He starts with said, I want you to know, talking to the church at Corinth, about the example of this church in Macedonia. I want you to know about the grace of God that was given to this church. That overflowed in a wealth of generosity. But I want you to know about the grace that was given to them. It wasn't because they were great people. It wasn't because they were really, really, really disciplined people. It wasn't that they were just abnormally selfless type people. They had experienced grace. And so that's why he says, we talked about the gospel, about how God has been generous to us in Jesus. He's done everything for us. That when we were poor spiritually, that when we rebelled against God, that he who was rich became poor so that we, through his poverty, through him taking our sin, could be made rich in righteousness, to be reconciled back to the Father. And it's only when you experience that our God that we serve is a generous God. It will then compel us to say, God, my life is not mine. It's yours to be spent, however. So we talked about the great need of the world around us, that there's a great need, and God's calling us as a faith family to enter into that need, not to hoard up more and to keep our stuff like this, but to say every part of who we are, including our resources, we want to hold open-handed. We want to be a people that says, by the way we live our lives, people can look at us and say, there's evidence of the grace of God in that church, in those people. And can we say that? So we had this statement Uh, that we kind of unpacked a little bit last week, whatever God does for us, He always intends to do through us. That all the blessings that we have in America, all the blessings that we have as individuals, is never meant to just stop with us. It's not to say we can't enjoy things, not to say we can't enjoy this life, but there is precisely a purpose in all the blessings that God has given us. If He reveals Himself to us, it's not just so that we can have a relationship with God, although that's so important. It's life-changing. But He reveals Himself to us that we might be changed by Him to be more like Him and then show His glory to the world. If He gives us financial blessing, 
is not just to be spent on ourselves. It's always meant, he always has a, a bigger purpose, that it might be spent through us to show aspects of who he is, that his kingdom might be accomplished in part through us, not our kingdoms. So, um, and I, I think uh, this is, I've been wrestling with this this week. I'm like, why am I not, is this not true? I mean, because the scriptures are abundantly clear that this is the rhythm, this is the standard, this is the expectation, this is what happens when we understand the generosity of God. But I look at my life, and I, we, I shared this with you last week, giving is so hard for me. It just is. I'm a selfish person. Like, I'm not like the guy that just delights in giving. That's just not something that's true for me. Why is that true? It's a discipline that I must um, build into my life. And I was sharing with our team this morning as we were praying, I hate to preach on this topic more than anything we shared with you last week if you're a guest you're going man i haven't been to church in years maybe i've never been to church and i came here and of course the preacher's preaching on money you know i can only assume that's what you guys are after and i i just have that that self-conscious because i've seen the abuse and i've seen it talked about in such unhealthy ways uh, in the church we can't go back and re-preach yes, uh, last week's message but um there's a tension when this topic comes up for me and i think for a lot of us uh, as well and so why is that like, what's happening in our souls? What, what's the worship problem that's happening underneath all of this uncomfortable um, kind of feelings when we have when we talk about money? And I, a few things, I, I won't unpack these for long, but I think one, selfishness. We just really are selfish to the core. And the thought of having to not have things be about me, like we don't like that. Um, I think a lot of it's just unbelief in the goodness of God and the promises of God. We're going to unpack that a little bit from chapter 9 here today. Um, pride i think there's some pride happening uh, in so many of us but i think one of the main reasons one of the main reasons um is as andy was leading us this morning that we're just distracted and here's what i mean by that I, and i think this will be up on the screen but we will never begin to live generously until we realize this world is not our home here's what i mean by distraction i think we we buy the lie that we just have to go through all of the motions and go to school to get that degree to get that job to get that house and that family and then that promotion and this thing and then retirement and 401k and all those things and none of those things i just mentioned are evil they're all really good things that we can use to the glory of god but our whole lives are just wrapped up in this rat race of just getting more and so the old adage is how much do we need to be happy it's always just a little bit more it's just true. This is the, what our culture tells us. If you just had this thing, then all of that longing that you're feeling is going to be fulfilled. And what we want to push back against is saying, Scripture has another way, that there's more to life than stuff. We're not against stuff, but there's, stuff makes a really terrible God. A really, really, really terrible God. And so I think so much of our lives, if you think about it, is just centered around, think about our schedules. Making money, spending money, we're trying to worry about how we're going to get more money. I mean, that's what we do. It's just so much that's centered around us. And we would be really amiss to not talk about what Scripture talks about and say this has a part of your following Jesus. We can't separate areas of our lives and our following Jesus. Jesus is Lord over all things. And so if so much of our life is just focused on making us as comfortable as we can be here, we're missing it. Like, we're missing the fullness of joy and the fullness of life. And, and I believe we're going to miss the mission that God has called us to be a part of, that he invites us into. We're going to miss it. This world is not our home. All throughout the scripture, you see this pattern that we as followers of Christ are sojourners. We're aliens. 
not like the little green Martian people, but like aliens, like foreigner. This is not our place of dwelling. This is not the end. Like there's a blip on the radar and then eternity. You remember when we talked a few weeks ago, we had the big rope stretched out here and our life is just this little bit right here. And eternity goes on forever. And we spend so much of our time on this and we forget about is our life going to count and matter in eternity? God, I don't, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to lead and help lead a church. Your elders do not want to see us just kind of go through the motions. We want to see, God, what are you doing in the world? Do not let us buy the lie. And materialism here in the West is one of, I think, the biggest pitfalls to the glory of God among the nations. It's going to be the biggest barrier because we don't want to get rid of our stuff. We don't want to see our stuff like this. We would never sacrifice our comfort or our safety or our security um, for this mission we want to be comfortable we live as if this is it and it's not we were made for more we're made for more so here's a statement um and ask the holy spirit is this me we will either view money as a gift to be stewarded for god's kingdom or we will view money as a god to be worshipped for our kingdom so if you look at the way you view your resources right now maybe you haven't even thought about this and so the holy spirit has us here today to say ask this question Is it just a gift? It's a good thing. Money's not evil, right? But it is what it is. It's just a gift. It's not going to fulfill all my desires, and it's a gift to be stewarded, not just for me and my comfort, but for God's kingdom and His glory. Or is is it become a God to be worshipped in my life? It's all about building my kingdom. You've got to ask that question. Am I worshipping God? This is what we mean by worshipping money. No no one's bowing down to their checkbook or anything like that. That's not what I mean. Here's what we know we're worshipping money is when our identity and our security and our worth is tied up in things. That if we were to lose a certain standard of living, then we would cease, want to cease to exist. That we've looked to things to do for us what only God and His grace and His glory can do. Is that true of us? And it's going to be all this, this rat race of trying to get more. It's, going to, it's never going to fulfill us. And an example of that biblically is Solomon. In the book of Ecclesiastes. And none of us in this world, no matter how rich we will ever be, will ever even come close to the riches of Solomon. He had everything. I mean, he had everything. He built, like, not just pools in his backyard, but, like, lakes in his backyard, okay? And he did not just do some shrubs out in front. Like, he had forest that he planted. This guy is the richest of them all. And he comes down to the end of his life. Among other things, he looks at all this stuff that he accumulated and says, It's empty. It's meaningless. It's but a breath, literally. It's, it's not what it looks like. It's a chasing after the wind. It's an illusion. Oh, my goodness. And I want uh, but God, by His grace, to pull us out of this lie and say, God, how can we use our stuff for something bigger? And see the end of it. And so John Piper would say that if you want to know the direction of your heart, look at the direction of your money. You want to know what you really love, what you really worship. Look at the way you spend your money. It's, it's an indicator of what we're worshiping. So uh, we're back here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So we looked at uh, chapter 8, and what he says is basically he's exhorting them to generosity uh, by the example of the Macedonians. Remember, he said this is what it lo- grace looks like in the lives of these people. So I'm going to show 
them to you to say, would you be like this? Let that, their example compel you to generosity. And then chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, he's going to give them exhortations to generosity. He's going to say, this is something that needs to be in your life. Uh, but ch- chapter 9, verse 6 through 15, where we'll spend uh, the bulk of our time together this morning. Here's what he does. Not just an example and not just exhortations, but he gives them, here's how he says, why be generous? The benefits of generosity. The reward of generosity. So we're talking about sacrificing ourselves and to take up our cross, like we just sang. Bear your cross as we wait for the crown and tell the world of the treasure that we found. There is a self-denial to this, but what Jesus is saying, the self-denial is not just we have to go through life miserable. That There is a joy in generosity. So the tagline of our, of our series, it's the cheerful giver. And it's experiencing the joy of generosity. So many times we do not put words like cheerful and giver together. And we don't put joy in sentences with gener- being generous. And what Christ is saying to us today by the, by the Apostle Paul writing to this church and by proxy for us today is, listen, there is a joy to be found when you live your life open-handed. That is not found when you live selfishly. Like life is more freeing when you realize life is not about you. Let me say it again. Life is never more freeing than when we realize that life isn't about us. And that spills itself over in the way we see our things. And so he, but he says there's freedom in that. There's joy in that. You can actually be cheerful in it. There's benefits that come when we give that I think Scripture tells us, will not come if we don't. And again, this is about our money, but it's about much more than our money. It's about all that we are. Um, But let's look at uh, what he says here. Let's jump into verse 6. Verse 6. And I love Paul's directness. We want to wonder, um, what's the point of all this that he's talking to this church? He says, the point is this. So for simple-minded people like me, he helps me. This is the point of the passage today. It's our big idea. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I'm going to read it again because it's a big, it's a big, it's a big thought and it's almost, it kind of pushes on us a little bit. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So here's this kingdom principle. Here's what life is like in the kingdom of God. He said, here's a point, uh, what it looks like to be generous. The more seed, the more harvest. And he's making a connection with seed and harvest, this illustration to say, the more we give, the more we receive. So think about it like this. How foolish would it be for a farmer? We don't know much about that. Anybody farming in the room here? Yeah, didn't really think so. Um, Drew, are you a farmer, buddy? That's great, man. Um, so we, we've tried, we've tried to uh, kind of plant some tomato plants and stuff, and like cats and squirrels come and devour all of my wife's handiwork, and it's pretty, pretty gross-looking little plant out there by our deck. And we just have tried to plant. We're not Mr. Green Thumb at all. And so I don't know anything about this whole world of planting. But think about, we, we get the principle, right? So we can kind of go, go to... Uh, Irwin, you should know, Ben, living up that way, man, about farming. Uh, so we're going to go to Irwin here, and we're going to understand um, what farming looks like, okay? So think about this. How foolish would it be for a farmer to have this seed, and the seed is not going to produce anything unless what? It's planted. 
All right? So you're going to put the seed in the ground, and somebody that knows how all this stuff works can explain it to me later. But the seed must go in the ground and die, and then it's going to produce a harvest. And the more seed, the more harvest. I mean, this is real difficult, I understand. But I mean, okay, track with me. This is Scripture here. The more we plant, the more we get. So how foolish would it be to say, I'm going to plant maybe two or three seeds, but I'm going to keep all of these seeds to myself because I, I don't want to give up my seed. You tell that farmer, like, you're a really terrible farmer. <laughs> like, you don't understand your job. Like, you're supposed to plant more, and the more you plant, the more you're going to harvest. It's just common sense, right? So why are we that way with our things? So you're looking at that farmer going, you're, you're not understanding the principle here. You would, you'd be foolish to spread, I mean, give it all away. Because the more you give, the more it's going to receive. And so... Scripture is telling us that our stuff is that way. It's like a seed. And so the more you give it away, the, the more you have to benefit. But if we keep ourselves to ourselves in this self-righteous, self-preservation kind of mindset, we're going to miss out on so much joy. The more seed, the more harvest, the more we give, the more we receive. So, so it all, he's saying. Why would you not? There's a blessing that comes when we sow it all. And so this so much, the reason we look at it and go, ah, I mean, it makes sense, but this so much contrasts with the world's mindset. Here's the world. Here's what our culture says. I'm going to get as much as I can by whatever means that I can, and I'm going to keep it all for myself. So I have to protect myself. I'm going to just get, get, get. And Scripture says, no, no, no. Yes, make all you can, but give as much as you can away because when you do that, you are promising this harvest. Promising it. And, and Scripture's going to affirm this. I'll run through these really quickly, but I just want you to see this is not just some isolated Scripture. It's all over. We're going to look at two. Proverbs chapter 11, the words will be on the screen. Uh, the, the, the writer's saying, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. So the more I give, the more I, uh, I have coming to me. Another withholds what he should give, being stingy, selfish, greedy. It only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Look at Luke chapter 6. This is from the words of Jesus. He says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we keep going uh, with other examples, but there's, it's clear. Give, and it will be given to you. It's a promise. So, so here's the principle. We'll say it again. The more we sow in generosity, the bigger our harvest. So the question that I want to walk through the rest of this passage is, is what is our harvest then? That's an important question. So the more we give, the more we're going to get. But what is it that we're actually getting? What is this harvest that's going to be increased with the increase of our generosity? And there's two really, 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 really dangerous fallacies that we could fall into. Two ditches to, these, to this good road of generous living. One is this prosperity gospel that is from the pit of hell. I mean, it is dangerous. That says, I'm going to give and just trust and the more I give, then God's going to bless me, and I'm going to get my yacht and my boat, and He's just going to increase my bounty. And so I'm going to give and give to the church. That way you can just be rich. And that is 
not what the scripture is saying. It is dangerous. And so we have people all over the world that's preaching that prosperity gospel that if you will give, 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 then God's going to bless you with all these resources and stuff. And that is just, look through scripture. This is not um, the case. Last week, the example of the Macedonians, remember what it said about them? They were very, very generous, but they were in extreme poverty and a severe test of affliction. Their generosity didn't make everything better in their lives. It was in the midst of their extreme poverty that they gave. Giving is not just saying that God is going to give me my 401k and it's going to explode, my business is going to explode. That is not the promise here. And then here's another ditch, though. We could swing from that side and want to overcorrect and say it's about this poverty gospel. That the more we give away and the, the, meager that we, the more meager that we live, the more righteous that we are. So you want to see somebody that really loves God is going to be the person that's living in poverty because they don't want stuff. And I just think that that's really, really, really dangerous as well. Like, that's not what Scripture is saying. That we just got to go around not having anything, never buying anything new, never spending anything on ourselves. That's an oversteer. That is not what this Scripture is saying. But instead, there's something rooted in truth and rooted in the glory of God um, of a harvest that is promised. So we can't just say there's, he's never going to give things. It's all about being poor. That's, that's not godly. And it's not about getting all this stuff, and it's all about an abundance of material blessings. That's not the goal either. That's why the, the psalmist would say, give me poverty nor riches. But just give me enough to actually live my life um, for your glory. Give me enough to, for today. My daily bread, Jesus would pray. That's the prayer. So let's jump in. What are the benefits of generosity? What's the harvest that we're going to reap? So here's the first one. Our joyful generosity delights the heart of God. It delights the heart of God. You say, that's a benefit? Yeah, it is. Let's read verse 7. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Read this with me out loud. For God, a cheerful giver. Y'all are really bad at that. Let's do it again. Uh, For God loves a cheerful giver. You say, Man, where'd y'all get that title of that series? We stole it from Jesus, okay? Like, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. And, and here's the point. You can give without loving. Like, you can go through the motions and be mechanical and write checks and live your life. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. You can do it the wrong way. But if you really love... You cannot do that without being generous. You just can't. God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful giver here literally means enthusiastically thrilled. Can you say that about your generosity? That I'm enthusiastically thrilled. Like it does something to me um, to be able to give. It's not enough just to go through the motions. It is worship. There's a direct link between our giving and our worship. Directly. Is that true for us? Is there a joy in our generosity? Because there is a depth of that. He loves, and, and it delights the heart of God when he sees that posture in us. He doesn't want us just to mechanically obey. We've got to push against this in the church. If you grew up, it's all about doing the right things. And yes, we should obey. But God wants to go deeper. And he wants more than your behavior. He wants your heart. He wants you. And he wants us in this act of giving to be able to be transformed in such a way that we actually have joy in taking part in what he's doing in the world. 
But he goes on. So God loves a cheerful giver, but he he says some things around that. So here's a statement that I think is fair to what he's saying. Cheerful giving must be individual, intentional, and authentic. So first, individual. It must be individual. He says each one must give. So he just assumes this is going to be true for us. It's not an absence of if we give. Each one must give, but it's each one. So it's personal. It's very individual. And so I'm just going to ask a question, lean in a little bit. Do you see joyful generosity as a necessary part of what it means for you to follow Jesus? Like, have you ever pieced that together? Because he says each one must give. And so let's submit to Scripture. Has this been true uh, for me? Do I see, am I being a joyful giver, a cheerful giver? And is it, is it a part, a necessary part of me being a disciple? But not just individual. He says it must be intentional. That each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Decided in his heart. So this is not um, some hard and fast rule and command. You must give this amount in this way. He said, no, I'm not going to do that here. Although we have some principles to follow. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but it should be voluntary. It should be overwhelming. This part of being cheerful should be overwhelming. Decided in his own heart. It's between you and God to say, God, what amount and how should I give? But that word decided actually tells us some of what that looks like. This word decided literally means to be predetermined. So this is a planned and systematic way of giving, not just um, impulsive and sporadic. He's not just saying, just can I give if it comes up? Or No, no. I'm going to plan and I'm going to be intentional about how much I'm going to give. It's going to be a part of the way I plan out my life. Let's lean in and get a little practical before we move on, all right? What, what does this mean? How can we be planned and systematic? You say, Derek, I've grown up, grown up. Wow, my goodness, pray for me. Um, you, you come do this. Um, I've grown up in the church, and so it's um, very much, how many of you have heard, you've got to give the tithe to 10% to the church, right? That's the standard. That's what it means to be planned and systematic. And do we believe in that? Here's what we would say as a, as a church. Um, there's no hard and fast rule of tithe. It is a good principle to start with. But I think so many times we look at that and say, so you look at the Old Testament, and God says, bring your first and a tenth of your income to the storehouse, right? And in the New Testament, you don't never really see that given. So it's, Paul's always admonishing the church to say, be cheerful in your giving, be sacrificial in your giving. So we would say, I don't think that God's going to change his mind in the Old, Old Testament and New Testament. He's the same God. And so 10% is a good starting place. But here's what I think we do. I think we hide sometimes behind this tithe. That if we're giving 10%, then we're being obedient. And I think Scripture would say, no, 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 no. That was never meant to be the ceiling. That's just the floor. <laughs> Give your first, that you're trusting God. There seems to be a pattern in Scripture. There's no hard and fast rule in the New Testament that you must give 10%. But it seems that it should carry over. And then we look and say, goodness gracious, God is talking to me about something much bigger than this. So if you're not giving, a good place to start. And this is not a hard and fast rule. A good place to start. Say, how do I do this? I don't know. I think 10% of your income is a very good discipline. Not a hard and fast rule, but it's a good discipline. But then I think you've got to lean into what he's saying in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and other places that he wants all of us that God doesn't just own the 10%. He owns 100%. And so if we're just hiding behind this involvement and this kind of generosity, maybe we're robbing God 
uh, of, of what he wants to do in us and through us. And so here's what I would ask us to do in, in way of being practical, okay? Uh, dig deeper. Dig deeper. I'll, I'll, all of us, to go away from this sermon series and just pray. God, what would it look like for me to decide in my heart to be predetermined, to have a plan, and to be systematic about this area of my life? Because if we don't do that, it's probably not going to happen. Because none of us are going, I just wish I could give stuff away. Like, that's just not who we are. So we've got to be planned. So dig deeper. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit, to what should this be for me and my family? And then study the Scriptures and actually look into topics of what it means to be generous. Uh, we have a book out there uh, for sale by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle. It's a really, really short read, a really good book, uh, just principles of giving that we found really, really helpful. Um, go deeper. Be informed. Have, use your mind. Don't just listen to what I'm saying. Like, go investigate what God says about this topic. Again, not just about our money, but about our calendar and the way we spend our time and the way we spend our gifts. What does it look like to be generous? And then dig deeper, but then develop a plan. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. So what are we going to do about it? So here's what I would say to do. My wife and I try to do this regularly. Assess our current um, standing. Like, where are we? Like, how's things coming in? What's going out? What's coming in? What's our income? How, what does this look like? And then create a budget. <gasps> some of you engineers are going, yeah, spreadsheets. And some of you are going, oh, spreadsheets. You know, but like, listen, budgets will help you. Budgets will help you. And so if you don't know how to do that, go to our website um, on our main page, Cheerful Giver. If you click on that, there's some resources that can help you get started of what it means to make uh, a budget. Maybe no one's ever taught you to do that, to be a good steward of God's resources. And then ask the question, how much will I give now? I'm looking at what I've got. I've got my budget. How much am I going to enter in and give? And then have a plan to say, I'm, I'm going to give this now because this is where we are. But what's the plan over the next year, five years, ten years of increasing my generosity? Because again, 10% of my stuff, 10% of my time, I'm convinced is not enough. Not enough. Not because this is something we want from you. This is something we want for you in obedience to Scripture. And then free yourself. Free yourself. Be committed to being debt free. The Proverbs would say, the the borrower is slave to the lender just is you're a slave to it so free yourself up from bondage you say, i'm in a lot of debt well be intentional about getting out and not just so that you can get bigger and better but say god i want to have more resources to be more generous and be freed up um listen this is where some of us the holy spirit will call some of us to do this and i'm begging god to do this uh some of us need to downsize some of us say we have all this stuff and we've just never really asked the question do i have to live this way with this standard of living, these vacations and these things, not, again, it's not evil. We don't believe the poverty gospel. But the kingdom of God is bigger than our things. And so what if we say, you know what, I don't need all this square footage. I can have just as much in this house and free up this amount of money per month to be more generous for the kingdom of God to advance. Some things you need to sell. You say, I'm a college student. I just want, what are some stuff you just have laying around that you just don't need? You can just sell to have more money to be able to be generous. You can say, I could fast from Starbucks, and I'm stepping on my own toes right here, okay? I could fast from Starbucks and going out to eat and having all these things so that I could take that money and be generous to give. You say, well, that hurts. Like, I don't have a lot of money right now. And I think that's when we really get down to what we see with the Macedonians last week, that we give sacrificially to the place that it hurts us above our means, the Macedonians say. And what are some things we just need to stop doing? Some rhythms, some practices that we just cut out 
for the sake of God's glory among the nations. Say, I'm going to make margin in my life. Again, with my budget, but also with my time. If we are so busy, church, that we cannot follow the spirit of God's promptings, we're too busy. If we're too busy to engage in real people, we are too busy. And listen, I am speaking to myself. I get so busy doing the ministry that I can't do the ministry. And I want to stop it. I want to cut it away so that I can really invest in what matters. Save and invest. Again, not to build more, but to have more resources to be generous. And so we said this last week, but I'll say it again. What if, let's say, $80,000 of an income does not necessitate an $80,000 lifestyle? What if you can determine your bottom line and then just be able to free up to be generous? And then lastly, I'll say with this whole practical thing, invest and be invested in. Meaning, how can you leverage the relationships in your life toward this idea of generosity? Because I need people in my life. My life group is that for me. The pastors I work alongside to ask me, like, how's it going with your generosity? Are you being stingy, Derek? Especially the pastors I work with, they know that I'm self-centered. And so they're asking me, what does that look like? What's that rhythm? As your elders, we get together and we talk about uh, this. And so, and even your family, parents, teach your kids what it means to say, man, we could do this, but what if we take this and we could use it for the glory of God among the nations? That people and relationships and God's glory is more important than things. Let's live like it. And so, uh, I love this quote from a pastor. It says, do for one what you wish you could do for many. Meaning, start somewhere. He said, man, I wish I could be generous. That's where we are. We're living, honestly, kind of paycheck to paycheck. So if that's you in here, I get you, okay? Like, I understand. But the, uh, the part of generosity is saying, no, 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 this is called for us. It's going to look different for every one of us, but we're going to enter in. And maybe I can't do everything I would want to do, but I'm going to start somewhere. And I'm going to do for one person and just a little bit, what I wish I could do for the many. So, giving must be individual and, and intentional, but it also must be authentic. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So reluctantly is this idea of an inside heart condition, that we shouldn't do this with grief or sorrow or sadness or regret to say, oh man, what I could do with all this money. And instead, I'm giving it away to people and the ministry and the, mi- the mission of God. He said, God says, I don't want your money that way. I want you to worship me and to see what I'm doing and enter in that way. That's what I want. So don't do it reluctantly, but also don't do it under compulsion, outside pressure, meaning don't do it just because the preacher says to do it. Please don't do that. That's what, how cults are started, okay? Like I'm not saying follow me. My goodness, no. We're following Jesus. He is the pastor. He's the shepherd here the authority is God's word. And so we're submitting to that saying, what would it look like? So don't do it under compulsion. God hates us as people pleasers. Don't do it to say I've given. Or because the church expects, no, 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 no. Don't give. Instead, get down on your face and ask God to show you the generosity of God and the gospel and really what he's doing in the world. And so I'm going to ask us, what is our motivations? What are our motivations for giving? What are they? All right, really, really quick. We're going to fly through now, okay? Fly through. Benefit number two. So it delights the heart of God as we give cheerfully, but then number two. Our joyful generosity experiences more of the generosity of God. Let's read in verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, listen, I'm gonna, I, I have a lot of notes here, but I'm going to just hit the, the highlights. Here's the point. God has given this beautiful promise. The more we give, the more we receive. So we've got to ask, will we trust him? That's what it says. That's how he turns. God's promised this. Do you believe this whole law of the harvest? Will we trust him? And so cheerful giving will show us the object of our trust. What are you trusting in? And who in our, is our security in what we have? Or is our security whose we are? So giving will test our faith in two ways. Real quick, let's buckle up. Generosity requires confidence in the power of God. He says, God is able. God is able. Do you believe that? Because it tests us. When we have to give to the point that it hurts, it's saying something about what we believe about God. Is do you believe, he's promised this, but that he's able to do what he promised. That he has the resources. He has the power. So Romans 4, real quick, verse 20. The words will be on the screen. This is about... Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning what? The promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced. So, church, have you ever been fully convinced that God is able to satisfy us and supply for us? He's able. He has what it takes. He is enough for us. But here's the second way it tests our faith. Generosity requires confidence in the promises of God. He says, he's able to do what? To make all grace abound to you. So listen, it's not just enough to believe that God's able. So many of us know that. We grew up with this big vision of God. And so don't have a little God put in a box. He is able. But he's able to, to pour out grace on us. Meaning we don't deserve it. Love and blessing that we do not deserve. So you can't just believe in the, the power of God. Do you believe in the promises of God? Or maybe you better put the character of God. That not just is he able to bless us, but that he's willing to bless us. Like he's actually willing. Like he wants to be generous toward us. He has an infinite supply of grace available to us when we give. And that if we choose to not trust him in this, we will miss out on grace. To an extent, we'll miss out on grace. Again, this is not God's going to love us less. He loves us fully because of Jesus. But we're going to miss out on the blessing of who he is and what he's done. But then he says, so verse 8b, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. He's promised that you'll have sufficient. You can be content. Are you content with things that God provides for you in all things? So this is not just spiritual blessings, but actually physical blessings. Like he's promised to take care of us. And then at all times, in every season of life. So when we have abundance and when we have nothing and everything in between, this promise holds true. If we will trust God, He's promised to pour out all grace on us and we get to experience an aspect of His generosity in ways that we would never experience if we never jump in and trust Him in this area of giving. But we'll close with this. It has a purpose. Two purposes. Verse 8b through 10 says so that he's going to bless you so that you may abound in every good work 
And then verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. But why? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So here's the point. Not only is he able and not only is he willing, but the reason that God promises to say, the more you sow, the more you give, here's why. Not so that you can spend it on yourself, but so that you can give more. So that you may abound in every good work. This is why this is not this prosperity gospel. This is not just for us to consume it on ourselves. God says, if you will trust me and jump into this mission, I promise you I'll be an a, I'm able. And I'm, I'll, I promise you that I will pour out a blessing and you'll experience more of me and more joy. Precisely so that the more I give you financially, that you can continue to be generous. He promises that. It has the mission at the core. So I ask again, are our lives directed on accumulating more stuff for ourselves or are our lives directed on eliminating more needs for others? Because he goes in and the last benefit is that our joyful generosity brings glory to God and produces joy in others. Verse 12, that this ministry of service will overflow in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. He's saying this kind of lifestyle shows God to be as glorious and as beautiful as he actually is. That's what it is. It comes from our confession of the gospel. So if we believe what we believe about the gospel, it must overflow into this area of our lives and it brings God glory. That's why Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Your good works. I think generosity is a piece of that. And that they may glorify you and say how awesome a person that trusts these Baptist church is. No, no, no. They may see your good works and glorify your Father. Because we are, when we are generous, we are never more like God than when we give. Because God is a generous God. It's for the glory of His name. So listen, here's what's at stake. Not just the mission, not just us making budget and that sort of thing. I mean, that, that's all important. And not just a blessing for your life and joy and a cheerful giving. Here's what's at stake if we refuse to get out of this selfishness. Ask the Spirit of God to break this down. Here's what's at stake. It's the glory of God. So if people were to look at our lives in this practice and say, I'm just going to look at this church and this individual's current practice, what would they learn about God? Would they be able to look at us and say, from what I see from their good works, it says something about the generosity of God. It says something about what they believe about God. Like, I want that kind of level of obedience. I want that for me, and I'm begging God to do that for us. I'd love to be known, just be this church that's just generous. Not so to make a name for ourselves, but for the glory of His name. So if you'll bow with me, we're going to enter into uh, this time of uh, responding to the Word um, this morning. And so I just want to ask um, another question of us. And it comes from the last verse uh, in this chapter that we didn't get to really hit. Uh, Verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's how he ends this conversation about giving. He said, we're going to praise God for the gift of Jesus and his grace that he so freely poured out. On us, And so here's a question for us all to ask. Is our generosity worthy of the gospel of Christ? 
It's rooted in. How generous should we be? Well, it's informed by the gospel. How generous was God? So John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That he gave. His love was expressed in His generosity. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And our giving is rooted in this glorious mission of making disciples who make disciples of all nations for the glory of His name. He's promised to provide for us. And so what I want us to do, church, is to gaze upon Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. See God Himself pouring Himself out in generosity for us. It's calling us in to something bigger than just our meager existence, but to use our lives for the spread of His name. If we gaze upon Christ long enough, we will become givers. And if we give long enough, we will become more like Christ. And that's what we all want for each other. So church, let's stand and let's sing this song as a prayer of confession. My life is an offering.